what, Patrick Flynn? What, Beth Amon? I hate this movie. Love Actually? Yes. Me too. But I also love it. Me too. But I hate it. You know what we should do? What? We should get a bunch of people together, split the movie into its 10 storylines, and then figure out this movie one story at a time. You mean people like Keith Powell and Jill Knox Powell from NBC's Connecting? Keith, why don't you show us what porn watching faces? And Washington Post columnist Alexandra Petri? I don't know. I think every Christmas story is a horror story. Do you think it would work? It actually inspired me to plan my funeral. I dig the uh, brothel angle. Every time I think about the trailer, I'm like, I was misled. I love your use of the word shag, by the way. Can I mix your ashes with glitter? It's like eight half screenplays just put in a blender. I am positive I stayed with my ex an extra six months because we saw this in the theater. It will definitely work. What is Love Actually? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download. It's like the whole Fraser Crane. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. It's the... it's Maris and, and yeah. uh, uh, it, it absolutely is. and Or Vera in Cheers. Mm-hmm. Uh, or what's her name in, um, in Merrily We Roll Along? What's Charlie's wife's name? Oh, now I have to look that uh... up. Oh, for crying out loud. Now it's trying to give me real people. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to find it later and add it in because I can't find it. Oh, my God. Should I phone a friend? How do we figure this out? Okay. I have, hold, on for, hold on for one second. Sure. I'm going to do this just because it's, it's too funny that I know the exact right person to ask. Okay, I have texted Kimberly Schmidt from Broadwasted, and she's going to tell me the answer to the question <laughs> that I can't find on the internet. And when she does, I will read it on there as a mea culpa to the fact that I don't know what Charlie's wife's name is. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a performer and one, the other half, actually, of the Buried Broadway podcast, because we had Mikey on earlier. It's Jen Beverelli, everybody. Hello. That's fun to say. Jen Beverly, everybody. That works. That oh, scans. Yeah. That's, That's better good. than my old name. I used to be Jen Bevan. And when I had to slate and it was either seven or 11, the whole like auditorium mm. would laugh. And I'm like, cute. I hate this game. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about lyrics, as you might imagine, because yeah. cause we're here to talk about. They're playing our song. Oh, they're playing my song. Oh, yes, they're playing your song. I wish they played it. Okay, Jen. Um, yes, Patrick. I, I have to swear off the top, gang, because there's no other way to say this. But I listened to this show three times today. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is quite short. So it is short. Possible. That's why I put it off until usually I give it a little bit of a push, but I put it off because I thought, well, it's only 40 minutes, so I can bang this thing out. And that song that I just played just now for the audience is a f-ing earworm it is just like it's been in, i've been singing alternate lyrics to the title song walking around the house all day like just sort of little things like gotta finish your food before we go upstairs you have to you know i mean it's just all this stuff with my kids and my kids are looking at me like what are you doing i can't get that song out of my head. that's hilarious because it actually i think the the guy version of that contains mm-hmm. my least favorite lyric in the entire show oh which is what um i think it's who would have known nine months ago 
that I would give birth at my piano and that's that was on my list of of <laughs> lyrics that I thought were weird. My one of my least favorite comes in her version of the song, which is where they try to foot the word poem into one syllable. And it, that is, I mean, it's a recognized technique. That's that, you know, they, like Carol the Bear Singer, thing. yeah, didn't invent that. But it really, like, every time I heard it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And it wouldn't be a huge problem if this show wasn't about what it's about. But before we get into what the show is about, we should back up and say, how did uh, they're playing our song come into your life? Okay, so this show came into my life in college. It was done my senior year. And this, okay, so the show has a lot of layers and then the layers that I put on it as an emo college student are even more. So (laughs) like when we talk about songs, I'm going to be like really, really sappy and gross. Sure. So warning. Sure. (laughs) Um, But so in college, I kind of was forced to be a design major Mm. uh, instead of a performance. Where'd you go? Rollins College. It's a small liberal arts school in Florida. Mm. Dana Ivy went there. That's about Ooh, the only well, that's I know. cool. That's very cool. Um, and so basically they have sophomore reviews. I know you work at a college, so you probably mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have I'm familiar with similar. it. No, but I'm familiar with what it is. Yeah. So basically they were like, Hey, why don't you go into the design track? And they were very, very forceful. And of course, you want to be successful and liked. And you're like, someone told me I'm good at something. Sure, I'll do it. I'm great at sketching. Great. Perfect. And then once I got to my senior year, I was like, what the heck am I doing? I've wanted to act (laughs) since I was like three years old. Sure. And I have known this. And I chose this school because it had 75 kids in the program. And I thought, hey, I'll get to do some shows and learn things. Mm -hmm. And I never got cast once Mm. and instead my dance teacher who was a adjunct professor at my school but a professor at the community college was like well why don't you just come audition for me because this is stupid Mm -hmm. um so i did two shows at the community college and none at my own college (laughs) which was weird and um so basically i always worked on the shows that were done at my school because I wanted mm-hmm. to learn and be a well-rounded theater sure. person. So I stupidly decided to be the audio engineer for this show, hmm. which meant that I sat backstage and put mics on all the people who got cast that weren't right. me. And then I had to sit there and listen to the whole show <laughs> and cry. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> And it was horrible. Oh, my gosh. Um, my best friend was cast as Vernon. Mm. And I thought, like, we were Will and Grace. I thought I was going to be, you know, the Sonia. And a music major came in that none of us had ever met. And they decided she sang really well. Sure. So. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of emo feelings. <laughs> Well, I have to say, after that backstory, I'm a little surprised we're talking about this show. Why? <laughs> well, because it doesn't sound like a lot of positive memories. Are I mean, I don't know. It. it was like my cathartic, like you sit backstage and you're like, well, one day 
I don't know, these lyrics spoke to me in a different way. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. they're about breakups and romance. and But, mm-hmm. like, to me, there was an added layer of the art and, mm. like, not giving up on the art or having other people tell you that, I don't know, I've written down some of the emo lyrics that we can get into. But, sure. Um, <laughs> but, Absolutely. Like, I don't know, Fallen. I uh-huh. always used to lose my mind um, because this was, like, my childhood like the first verse is i'm afraid to fly and i don't know why i'm jealous of the people who are not afraid to die it's just that i recall back when i was small someone promised that they'd catch me and then they let me fall and now I'm falling, falling fast again. Why do I always take a fall when I fall in love? I was a horrible auditioner. I still am. I'm a nervous person. Mm-hmm. And I'm very jealous of the people who go into the room and think... I can do this and are Hmm. not afraid to fail and make big choices and don't judge themselves before it comes out of their mouth. And that's how I interpreted the song for Hmm. me. A lot of songs when I listen to them, when I like put them through the lens of me, I don't know. They either speak to me or they don't. And Mm -hmm. this one did. (laughs) Sure. I get that. It is a really, we should probably back up and do a quick summary, but while we're sitting on Ah, falling for a second, I do want to say it is a weird way to start this show, it seems to me. Um, the more I listened to it, kind of the less it made sense. I, not that I don't, nothing against the song. It was just kind of an odd beginning, I thought. It's kind of a quiet start yeah. to, a, to a Broadway show, which this is very much a Broadway show, even though it's only got two actors in it. It's a very Broadway show. It is, but it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like I do I do and like mm-hmm. way it's like a very early 70s version of the last five years in my eyes like it's very you know hard down and little but also feels very big mm-hmm. absolutely and, I mean I do think there's a, issues with like the formatting like sure. the beginning and end wh- why where lots of questions <laughs> sure well that's the problem with semi-autobiographical material is uh, is the lack of objectivity maybe in the way the yeah. characters are going to be presented. But that's a good way to lead into say, could you think you could summarize the, the story of their playing our song? Sure. So it is about two people, Sonia, who is a lyricist, and Vernon, who is a composer. And they get kind of artistically set up to work on a project and they end up, falling for each other and Sonia has a another love interest who we never see and it's about their relationship and how it grows and how it ebbs and flows and in the end they learn they can't live without each other and it's based on loosely loosely Based the, on Marvin the real Hamlish. life rom- yeah, real life romance between the composer and the lyricist of this show, uh, Marvin Hamlish and and uh, and Carol 
Bayer Singer. Uh, Sanger. Sager. Sager. I always get that wrong. Carol <laughs> Bayer Sager. That is hard. Not to say. easy. Not easy to say. Um, who did not stay with each other forever, which is what no. makes the, the In fact, I think they funny. broke up during the run of this show. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yes, certainly. She was with Burt Bacharach, I saw on her. Uh huh. Um, her right after this. Page. I know. Like, it's like, damn. Like, okay. Like, she's a cool lady. She wrote, oh, like, she's a lot of super stuff cool lady. Oh, yeah. You n- never you knew know her she- work. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. it, but you don't know you know it. Right. Because she mostly, she did release a couple solo albums, but she mostly is known for being a lyricist of, I mean, she's won Academy Awards. She's won you know, all kinds of accolades and Grammys and, and stuff. And, uh, is just one of those people who kind of always was worried. She's worked with some of the best people in the business from Carol King to Aretha Franklin, Peter Allen. I mean, the list goes on and on. So she's, yeah, yeah she's, she's pretty great. Um, but very much in the background. And I think that's one of the interesting things about the show is the way specifically her character is presented through the, through the lens of quasi autobiographical and then, Neil Simon like there's this mm-hmm. sort of double spectrum that this these characters are put through that make them very Neil Simon characters to yeah me at well the end I of the think day. it's funny the way that this show came about mm-hmm. um because it seems like especially the Sonya character like it came about because Neil Simon and Marvin Hamlish were trying to write a musical version of the gingerbread lady and they were doing all these meetings and Marvin Hamlish was saying, oh, well, Carol, blah, 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 like venting mm-hmm. about his relationship. And then all of a sudden, I mean, Carol and Marvin have different tellings of this story. Sure. In her story, it's Neil Simon asked, can I write a play about you? And they said yes. In Marvin Hamlish's story, it's a transcript was delivered to their house that was already written. And he was like, can you write music for this? And it was about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I think it's interesting that if that second story is true, the character of Sonia is Carol being filtered through Marvin, being filtered through Neil Simon. Mm -hmm. So she's like this huge caricature of woman neuroses. Like, Yes. Oh, absolutely. And this is also Neil Simon, like right towards the end of his relationship with Marsha Mason, which I'm sure filters in there somewhere as well. His famous like romance with his second wife. And it is, it's funny though, that even the Neil Simon-ness of it really bleeds through in the album, even though there's almost no dialogue on the album at all. If there's any, uh, it just feels like a Neil Simon. They feel like Neil Simon characters in a Mm -hmm. very, very real, real way to me. And then I watched the, you can watch, Robert Klein and Lucy Arnaz do the Tony performance of the title song on YouTube. And that has dialogue in it. And you're like, oh, this is absolutely a Neil Simon play. Yes. Somebody put some songs on top of. One of the things I really enjoyed listening to this album over and over again is we are, we're coming to the end of this time, but we are still firmly in that time where you did not have to be a great singer to do a Broadway show. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, Robert Klein and Lucy Arnaz, God bless especially Robert Klein, not the strongest vocalists in the entire world. Right. <laughs> but that's what's so great. Like, I, I love know. it. I, I love, love that. it so much. I love, I love that. I do. And I mean, I don't know if that says something about me, but um, like I 
I think acting is worth more. And I mm-hmm. think that his comedic timing is great. Even mm-hmm. if you can hear it in the album, it's great. And I can and I'm sure in like the show, him, you know, doing ridiculous Neil Simony things was oh, hilarious. Yeah. Well, and if you watch the Tony performance, his basic inability to dance is really taken advantage of. It's really taken advantage of, where he just does like two or three moves over and over <laughs> again. And then every now and again will do like a little combination that he anybody could do basically. But it right, really like- makes but it makes that moment interesting where he suddenly is dancing for real and you go, oh gosh. And then like she keeps dancing because Lucy Arnaz can dance and he kind of goes back to his thing. And it's just a nice, it's what I like a lot. I really like about it is, I mean, Marvin Hamlish is yeah, obviously Pulitzer prize winning composer. He's pretty good. Oscars, Tony's all the things. Um, he, he writes to their strengths. He really, really writes the score to suit his actors. And then that's why I, I say I love the fact that they can't sing. No, they can't sing. And they're just not great vocalists. They're not great singers. No, none of these people are releasing solo albums. That's not on right. anyone's track. They're just, they're performers. They can, they're, they're sort of song and dance sing. people. Yeah. yeah. And comedians. I mean, they really mm-hmm. had that sense. And the show is written to be performed by these two people who are just kind of people. Now, I mean, replacements, the show did run for two years. I was kind of surprised to learn yeah. over a thousand performances. Got a lot of low overhead, you know, it's just two people. Uh, but Well, no, they have a chorus. They have a chorus, but it's not like, it's not a cast of thousands. Oh, yeah, yeah, It's a pretty, but like some of the replacements, if you go on the IBDB and you can see it's Stockard Channing, Victor Garber, mm-hmm. Donna Murphy, Tony Roberts. You there know, like, is a recording of Victor Garber. I'm afraid to fly. And I don't know why I'm jealous of people who are not afraid to die. It's just that I recall back when I was small, someone promised that they'd catch me and then they let me fall. And now I'm falling, falling fast again. What do I? Because this is Victor Garber, like fresh out of, um, he's fresh out of Godspell, the movie, and then goes right into basically Sweeney Todd, which is running, opens the same season that this does. And then I think he, that's right after that, he replaces, um, he replaces Robert Klein. So it's pretty like he's, he's, he's Victor Garber on the rise. All right. I found it on YouTube and I will bookmark it and <laughs> listen to it later. Uh, but I will say it's not as good as Robert Klein's for some, to me, I'm very like, once I hear one person sing something and I like mm-hmm. it, I'm like, oh, he's yeah. the king of that song forever. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> I have a real, I have a special problem listening to revival cast albums of shows that I know very well. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not right. That's not right. That, and I have right. to really train my head to be like, None of it's going to be the same. You need to right. stop and holding it to the same And it's not fair for me to do that. And also sure. as an actor, if I ever want to sing this, I'm not going to sound like Lucy Arnaz. So what am I talking about? <laughs> I mean, nor should you. But uh, it, I probably sound is... more like her than like Stephanie J. Block who did it. So <laughs> I'll take it. That's, that's the thing about, I mean, it's such, I kept listening to it and going like, should somebody do this? This was the thought I kept having. Not, I don't mean Broadway revival, but I mean like around here. Should somebody do this show? 
what where would this show live? Who could do this? Because it's a pretty low, like as you can imagine, I've been kind of thinking about musicals, especially that are are not that many people. That when 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 theater can return, it's going to be restricted number of people mm-hmm. you can put in a room. So small cast stuff is going to be a premium. And this is you know like it's two people in a chorus yeah. and a small chorus. Like you could really do this pretty pretty tiny. And I kept listening to it and going, I don't I don't know was sort of my response. I don't know if this show is very time locked in a way like to, to that late seventies, early eighties. And I don't just mean the score. I mean the sort of the aesthetics, the relationships, the story. Mm -hmm. Is it too locked to its time period for a young theater company like monumental around here, for example, to do a show like this? Would it feel weird? Would it feel awkward? I mean, you're asking the wrong person. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm asking the exact right person. <laughs> I mean, I because if anyone's going to see it, show. it's going to be you. So like, tell me how you. I know. You know. Well, if anyone's going to like bust elbows to get into that audition room, it'll mm-hmm. be me. Um, That's what I'm saying. But I mean, I first of all, who pays to go see theater? It's the people, people who, yeah, yeah right, who miss this era, who fell in love during this era. Very good point. Very good point. Um, but are they going to be going out to actually physically see shows when we can see shows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, but I think like love is a pretty easy thing to transition through time, and mm-hmm. I think people like retro stuff. Now, I think like in the '90s, this probably felt weird. Mm-hmm. to like see or do but now you know people love seeing mama mia and all those things with the bell bottoms and the period pe- like costumes uh-huh. and i think people would get a kick out of it if you <sighs> do it either to the like stereotype nth degree mm-hmm. or you do it like so realistically that it's like a historical like the set is historically accurate the costumes are historically accurate mm-hmm. you get people who have that like 70s lilt in their voice accurate mm-hmm. it could be a time capsule that works and gives people that nostalgia or glimpse into something they never got to experience because i think the 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 casting of of comedians in this but like people who aren't singers first is a really really smart decision for the show because it really gives them the sort of it takes them off mount olympus there's something about people who can sing that it 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 becomes operatic almost it can become Mm -hmm. they can become otherworldly and their their talent is so impressive that it can be hard to relate to them and in characters like you know alphaba or Jean Valjean that's what we want you want them to be high emotion the 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 score demands this type of vocal ability right but this is just a couple of schlubs around a piano and that's what's lovable about them (laughs) right and also like those characters are larger than life like they're leading a revolution in Mm -hmm. their mythical world or real world like they're you know huge they're leaders these people aren't leaders they're writing songs for other people to sing they don't even want to be singing them Right. Like, they don't like any of the limelight. And I think that's what's yeah, cool about them not being the best singers in the world, mm-hmm. but having the heart. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Is like you have to have actors with heart in that role. Otherwise, the whole play is going to fall flat because you can't sing these songs without 
showing some sort of inner feeling or emotion or like glimpse into your soul, I think. Well, and also a sense of, I mean, neurosis doesn't work. Neurosis with a, with a like impressive vocal range can be tricky unless you're like Laura Benanti. I mean, there's like, there's certain people who are good enough actors and, and that they can pull off the fact that they're such good singers. It's not intimidating, but mm -hmm. there's that certain, you know, it's the whole like, oh, I don't want to sing. I don't want to sing. I don't, ah. you know, they get real, people can get really intense and you go, oh God, like this, there's a certain confidence that that portrays the ability to truly sing. And I feel like I'm crapping all over Lucy Ernest and Robert Klein when I say this. <laughs> but like these are, it is a compliment that I think that there's, there's, they feel very raw. So when they do things that are, especially Robert Klein, whose character is, you know, goofy and, and, but bossy and, you know, Lucy Ernest doesn't necessarily like him at the beginning. I mean, that's the, the mm -hmm. song that I, I really, really enjoy. And I kind of kept forgetting wasn't the open, uh, is working it out. good lyric in here the last thing i need to hear today is a melody la, 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 la. i'm finding out that nobody gives you their songs for free la, 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 la. he wants one thing he wants another i just want to run and take cover i need a little more time just for me can you see i'm working it out working it out that's what i'm trying to do working it out for Leon, for me and you Working it out It should be easy to do You never had to work it out You never had to work it out You never had to work it out Work it out Work it out for two Hear kind of Bee Gees record here about broken hearts or something, uh, something yeah. I like working it out as a song of these two people working together and he's being just a lunatic and she's not here for it and it's so cute it's such a great like meet cute kind of song where you're like oh she doesn't like him now but she's gonna like him later like you can yeah. just tell and he's just being all over the place but and not he's in just a cool like not way. listening yeah like yeah. he's just like she come before that song she comes in she's an hour and a well she's a day she's a and day an late half, right I saw, yeah. day, a day and an hour and a half late she comes in she's like i'm sorry i'm an hour and a half late and he's like no you're a day and an hour and a half late what the heck <laughs> and she like she's my idol i love it's so great but he just bolted like she's like well let me explain why and mm -hmm. he's like no i don't care let's write songs and just bulldozes all over her emotions and she's like well i'm trying to write about emotions and you're not listening to mine so what mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is the interesting conflict that they have that that he and his ultimate problem, which is why like fill in the words is such an excellent closing for his character that he he can't talk about it. He just can't. Mm -hmm. It has to, it's in his music. That's how he expresses himself. And so he doesn't want to talk to you about your feelings. Yeah, no. <laughs> because he has nothing to add to that. That's not great. I want to go ahead and like go on the record and say like I know the, the <laughs> and the sh but the show doesn't this is one of my things of it like being semi-autobiographical is at least on the album the show really does let him off the hook for that. The the general like no listen like I'm a musician, I I'm a composer. I express myself through music. And if you can't deal with that tough 
is mm-hmm. a little bit. And I, I, I always kind of think, no, like you can learn to, to, to talk to people <laughs> and be a person in society. And if you weren't so wildly successful, you might have learned by now. But like right. because you're so wildly successful and so good at your job, your behavior and, and you're a white guy, your behavior is excused and it's like, well mm-hmm. he's great he's won academy awards and he's done all kinds of great stuff he's fine and that's where the sort of like the marvin hamlish of it all looking over neil simon's shoulder being like maybe he could be a little bit like cooler you know sort of <laughs> makes me feel like maybe it's okay that he's emotionally withdrawn it's like oh maybe it is i don't know yeah. uh yeah feels that that's the so i didn't in the script is it is, is that accurate to is that the, the feeling out of the album he's is a lot the cooler than, yeah yeah He's definitely a lot cooler than what I think Marvin Hamlish is or was. Uh, but I mean, even in, I, I went full down the rabbit hole on this. I sure. read um, Carol Bear Sager's like memoirs, oh, or at my. least the chapters on sure. they're playing our song. And uh, but I will go back and read it. It is interesting. But she said she wrote down a little fight that they had about they're playing our song. Carol and Marvin basically were having a fight they were sitting with neil simon and he was like well the characters that are at a disco now what would make them get up and dance and carol said well i don't dance i I hate dancing i don't like it and marvin you don't dance either and marvin said carol we are not vernon and sonia this is fiction based on us it is not a biography (laughs) basically i can just envision like Neil Simon sitting and looking back and forth and being like, oh, yes, this is perfect. I'll write all of this down for later. And put it on the stage. Exactly. But yeah, know. it seems like they were always kind of bickery and silly. It, well, which really, but that's why the ending kind of feels weird to me is because I just assumed when it was based on, that it was based on them, that it ended with them not being together, which makes the most sense to me like a, 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 an ending of well we had some good laughs and we we tried really hard and mm-hmm. and we made just, some beautiful stuff yeah and we made some beautiful over. music and now it's over and that is kind of almost what happens right because they do break up and then she comes to see him in the hospital at the end yeah like, i okay i kind of mikey was like okay because i was nervous and i was like well what am i what question should i prep for and he was like the only one you should prep for is like a summary of the thing Mm because no one's gonna know what this show is i'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) so i tried to summarize it for him and i was like and then there's something about a hospital but i don't really remember and he was like you should probably look up the actual plot summary because you're confusing and i was like no there's a hospital he's like i don't it's really random and then i read the actual thing i was like there is a hospital they're in the hospital and it is random And she brings him a toy piano. Yes, because Leon is also in the hospital, her ex-boyfriend, down the hall. (laughs) Because we needed that to get her into the hospital. I don't know. So for for the listener at home, Leon is her ex that she just broke up with before the show starts, and then she can't really leave. Mm -hmm. Like, even they break up, and then he's sort of always, he's sort of the omnipresent third character in their relationship. Yeah. And we never meet him. I often feel like reading the synopsis and listening to the character songs, I feel like individually the characters are very clearly defined. I don't know if they're like tremendously well drawn. And it's it's maybe I might be splitting hairs there a little bit, but I, 
I get what they think of themselves. Let me put it that way. I understand what these characters think right. of themselves. I do not, though, understand Sonia and Vernon as a couple. I don't understand what draws them together and what holds them together. I got a little bit out of it watching the the YouTube performance of their playing our song and understanding why <laughs> there's two versions of the song back to back because they're on ostensibly a date and they hear one of Vernon's songs and he gets up and starts dancing and then one of her, Sonia's songs comes on and she starts dancing and then they dance together kind of as <laughs> their at their own music, which I think says a lot about them that they don't, they they don't want like they're I think Marvin Hamlish and Carol accidentally betrayed a lot of themselves if that's the scene. Well, I mean that's that's what they said in the living room with Neil Simon was the only way I would get up and dance is if it was my song. Right, which is and he was like, good, write right, that. That's perfect. But it's <laughs> you egomaniacs. That's the that. thing is it's not as <laughs> lovable as I think. That, like I think the show what I get it as a connection to, to each other. It's one of the the moments where I'm like, oh. I get that. You two have this thing in common where you, you mm-hmm. love what you do and you love when you wrote a song and it comes on the radio, which I can totally understand. Like that sounds amazing. I don't know what that right. feels like at all, but I can only imagine it's glorious. Um, but at the same time, the fact that they will only dance to their own stuff is a little bit like, and I, I you know, not to argue against myself too much, but I get also get the metaphor of, they're playing my song, they're playing my song, and at the end, it's they're playing our song. It's the stuff we did together. I get that. It's adorable. Mm-hmm. But I, I do not really have a great sense from the album, at any rate, of who, of what keeps them coming back to each other. Is it just the talent? Is it the work? Or is there some other kind of like connection there? So the layers of the show, there's mm-hmm. like relationship layer, obvious layer, but then there's the art layer, mm-hmm. like they're creating art and how those things like interweave is what creates their relationship. I think. Mm. Um, not want to leave each other because create like, it's kind of like the, when people say like, don't shit where you eat, like sure. they're shitting all over where they're eating and it's getting really disgusting and mm-hmm. confusing and all the lines are messed up. And I mean, I should talk. Mike and I are both actors and we're working together. What are we doing? Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it's sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sure. for them, I think fame kind of is the poison that kind of goes in there. And one of them, but I'm also reading into, I think, what I know about Marvin Hamlish and Carol Bayer Sager's relationship. I mean, as much as we're saying, oh, gosh, their relationship is really not something to emulate. Mm-hmm. Because they end up together at the end, we can pretend like they go off and live happily ever after <laughs> and everything works out great. And he gets over himself and maybe they go to couples therapy and uh, he admits he's not the ruler of the world. So with that being said, I always wanted like, I mean, like most theater kids, I felt kind of like black sheepish like I didn't Mm -hmm. feel like I belonged and I was always wanting to find that person who really got me Mm -hmm. and really understood my little one-line you know jokes or my references or just kind of my world that I 
thought that I had uniquely created for myself. And now as a grown up, I see, look, there's a bunch of us. Yay. <laughs> Let's all be together. Mm-hmm. But I felt very, very alone in that. Like I grew up with like a retro mentality. And when well, what do you mean I, by that? Well, so I grew up thinking that the Beatles were pop music until I was in like the fourth grade. I thought that the Beatles were their 1965 selves. Like I only listened to oldies. I listened Mm -hmm. to like girl groups and all that growing up, Elvis Presley. And it wasn't until boy bands hit when we had like NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys Mm -hmm. that everyone was like, oh my God, I love this song. And I'm like, first of all, what is this song? Haven't you heard of Paul McCartney? And they're like, ew, Paul McCartney could be your dad. (laughs) and that was also when google started happening well actually i don't even know if google was a thing but someone showed me a picture of paul mccartney right and i was like horrified (laughs) and it threw my brain for a loop (laughs) and but i i mean there's a reason we have a podcast it's based all on primarily older musicals Mm -hmm. like that's the sound that i tend towards that's the the thing that i enjoy is like the old school Carol King and songwriter Paul Simon and things like mm-hmm. that sound. Mm-hmm. And you don't really hear that as much anymore in like the folky way. You get songwriters, but they're more rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And that's what I loved about this musical. And what drew me to that was like it felt home mm-hmm. because that's kind of this sound was a sound I grew up with. So not only was it theater and I put this layer of loving the arts and loving myself in the arts and finding someone who could possibly love the arts and me all at the same time, but the musical package that it was delivered in spoke to me. So how have you, as you've gotten older and, you know, dug into this sort of appreciation for what you like and and the nostalgia of it, how have you reconciled that with being a contemporary artist and performer and and floating in the sort of contemporary space i mean it's pretty difficult luckily i have mikey who is really into kind of the contemporary sound so he like keeps me grounded in today Mm -hmm. uh but i mean i i think that's part of something that i like about myself is that i kind of like float around in my own little bubble of the past Mm -hmm. and i i tend to meet really cool people that way because i tend to be friends with people who are older than me Mm -hmm. and i get to hear their stories and like there's nothing more that i love in the world than learning about other people and hearing like their life Mm-hmm. Like I love listening to memoirs and autobiographies and all of that stuff. And partially it's because I put Hollywood and seventies and sixties Broadway up on this big pedestal where like everything was great. And all you had to do was step outside and you'd get cast in a Broadway show, and, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that's not true. I right. hear, you know, but it also sure does feel that way, doesn't it? It feels that way because I only read the memoirs of the people who I know. So, <laughs> um, that's but also true. doing buried, buried Broadway, I am learning about other people who I'm like, how come I never heard about Joe Schmo who sure. did five Broadway shows mm-hmm. and nobody talks about him anymore. He's still alive. Why? Like, you know, I can't think of a certain person right now, but like yeah. there are people and, um, Oh, Walter Willison. He's still alive. He was in two by two. Mm-hmm. He people don't, he's not a star, but mm-hmm. he's still around doing shows. 
And um, I think that's pretty cool to like live kind of in a different perspective to keep other people's stories alive or to keep that interest going. Because there are tons of kids who are sitting there freaking out about Beetlejuice and writing Rob McClure billion love letters. And Mm -hmm. that's great. I think he's amazing. And they're going to keep his memory alive for forever for their generation. Mm -hmm. But I feel kind of this responsibility to keep people's stories alive, at least to get Mm -hmm. to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And so I don't mind kind of being in my own bubble. I don't know if that even remotely answered your question. No, it absolutely does. Um, (laughs) Because I totally, it, it's a funny thing where like I, 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 I you, what you really spoke to me that, that like I, I totally agree with and, and recall from that is this idea of like when I was a teenager and in college, if you put some media in my ears, I completely absorbed it. Like, and I had it and I remembered it and I knew everything about it and I was very tight. And then like at some point around the time that I hit my mid twenties or I had kids, one of those, I that started to fade. And I think that's just a process of getting older. And that took me a long time to kind of reconcile because it was weird. I felt, so the, my question, Jen, you and I are about to become much better friends. Cause I'm going to ask you Yay. a very, I'm going to ask you a very intense question and you're free not to answer it. And I'll just edit it out and we'll move on. Okay. But do you ever, this is something I have wrestled with and continue to wrestle with because everything you are saying makes a hundred percent sense to me. And I feel a lot of what you're saying is, is my own experience as well. But do you ever feel like you are not living in today because of this association with a lot, like you're saying for a lot of your friends are older. A lot of my friends are older. Um, and I love hearing what they say. And I love, you know, I have a whole podcast about, about this sort of thing <laughs> and, and getting into the creative sense of people, but also like, I feel so much more comfortable in this time that doesn't exist and remembering it. And I often feel like it's at the detriment to what's going on around me in the large sense. I like, you know, I'm still very, I'm very, I'm very involved in my kids' lives. I'm very aware of what's going on in my life. But in the grand sense, I feel constantly disconnected from the culture and not just the culture writ large, but like contemporary Broadway culture. I, have to make a concerted effort to keep up with what's going on. And I have a terrible time keeping actors' names in my head, contemporary actors' names, uh, which is why when I talk to the gang on Broadwasted all the time and they're rattling off all these people, I'm just like, I have no idea who those people are. And they sound That's awesome. That's crazy because actually one of the reasons I was nervous to talk to you was because I feel like you can do that really well. And I'm like, I can't do that. And I was so nervous. I was like, Mikey, what if he says someone's name and I don't know who that is? He's like, <laughs> smile and nod and move on. I don't know. That is the right like- answer. Mikey gave you the right <laughs> answer. Just act like you know, act like you've been there. It's the right, nobody's going to know the difference but, but yeah but, i mean i do feel that way and, and it is I do obviously feel like, it's a sliding scale i should let me respond to that nervousness yeah. for a second it's obviously a sliding scale i feel inferior to those people and 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 other people feel like god you know everything about this i'm like i really don't you should meet these people and i'm sure they would say we don't really know everything you should meet this person there's always somebody who has like a deeper grab than, than you are as I've also, as we've talked about a little bit, I'm also a, an audio editor and cut out the parts where I have to look up somebody's name. Speaking of which, <laughs> um, 
Kimberly got back to me. Evelyn is the name of Charlie's wife ah. in Rally Rolong. Um, she had to look it up. She guessed Ellen and uh, did some deep Googling and found it out. So thank you, Kimberly. <laughs> Yay. And thank you to all the people who have been listening and screaming into their iPhones that it's Evelyn. I apologize. But wasn't it fun to get Kimberly involved? But I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were saying, uh, responding to what I was, I was saying. Oh, yeah. I mean, and we're getting really real here, and I don't care. You can keep all of it because everyone knows this. But, like... I'm also like a very highly sensitive person. So for me, creating this like kind of barrier where I do disconnect is kind of like a self-preservation thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like my little home and my little safe space. And that does kind of feed into my anxiety when I have to get out of that safe space sure. because I'm afraid I won't know people's names or... I won't know, you know, a certain musical that people are talking about or even, you know, basic news facts uh, <laughs> sometimes because oh, I'm just news, like, I don't. <laughs> the news is not fun. So don't. No I mean, yeah, I just try not. Yeah. <laughs> I try not to. But um, as someone who's kind of always felt disconnected in some way, I guess mm-hmm. I wouldn't know if it's mm-hmm. a problem because I've kind of always felt that way. Mm-hmm. and. I am learning to accept that and make that my reality and my space. But I do, of course, want to be a part of the contemporary theater scene and the contemporary world, but it's hard to break in. So I don't know. It's fine to have your little places. I guess. Well, it is also the, the thing that, brings me solace <laughs> when I have those feelings, um, which lately I have to say, I haven't had one of the nice things about there being nothing going on is I don't feel like I'm missing anything. Uh, the th- One of the things that brings me solace is always the idea that everybody I've ever loved in in the creative sense, contemporary or in the past, has always said the same sort of thing, that you have to do what you love to do. And when you do what you love to do, that will be, if it hits, like, that's great. But it may not hit. And so you might as well love what you're doing. You know, like, you mm-hmm. have to do what you love. That's where the success is. And so I always kind of go, okay, that's, then this is who I am. This is my authentic self. And I'm creating in my authentic self space. And if that's not what everybody wants, that's fine. Because I'm not going to pretend that I'm this other person. Because right. that way madness lies. So... It, that has always resolved. It's something I do constantly have to remind myself of. I'm not going to say that it's like, and that solved the problem and everything was fine. But it is this, this like, even in shows like this, there that is sort of a running message to through it, is this sort of idea of like, the thing that makes the, these two characters good collaborators is they have things in each other that do not, the other person doesn't have. You know, that's always what makes good collaboration anyway. And if they were both just the same person, it wouldn't be interesting. It wouldn't be exciting. You know, the reason Lennon McCartney worked is because they were two entirely different people coming at the same thing from entirely different points of view. They just liked the same stuff. And so mm-hmm. they could collaborate in that in that way and create, you know, some of the greatest songs ever. So I, I think that the knowing your authentic self is so important. It is also 
not you know necessarily a, a, you know it doesn't make you always feel great but right. but knowing I, i'm really getting from you a sense of like you really really know who you are and i'm wondering how much of that came out of sitting in the, as an audio engineer for this show see, I mean, seething a little bit like but yeah. like loving what well, was I happening mean, so, and seething like, that you were outside of it my second favorite song of this show is mm. just for tonight mm -hmm. and like i would sit backstage and weep my eyes out and then everyone would come back for intermission fun time and i'd be a weepy mess with mascara down my face being like is your battery okay and like pathetic just for today i'll be my feelings and i know And if we both come back a little wiser, it couldn't hurt anyone. It wouldn't hurt anyone. It shouldn't hurt anyone. Just for two. the most amazing line to a person who feels lost like mm -hmm. for a kid who is about to graduate college with an emphasis that she didn't really want trying to figure out do i stay with costume design and try and do that or do i actually follow my heart and act what do i do well i'll follow my feelings and they'll lead me home and i'm sitting there backstage crying so mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's so, shows come into your life at certain times and if you hear them and you appreciate them, maybe they'll help you. Thank you so much, Jen. What is your favorite song from the show? Though you've like teased around it like 40 times. What's your favorite song? My favorite song is I Still Believe in Love. Ah. Yeah. The little hopeful song. I was going to say. Um, because I know we've talked about the many layers I've put onto this show. But this song specifically had even another layer, which was I realized like how song placement in a show can be mm. so interesting to play for an actor because in the show, this song is a hit song that they wrote mm -hmm. to be recorded for a demo. Right. And she's left in the recording studio alone. They've like broken up, had a fight. And she's like, well, I guess I'll just record this song then. And it starts off, you know, with her singing just to sing the song and get it on a track. And then of course it morphs into her feeling her real genuine feelings of what's happening to her in the moment. Mm -hmm. And then college Jen being college Jen and adding more layers to the onion. You know, I'm thinking of all the times I've been rejected, all the times I've been told I shouldn't do what I want to do. And I like, you've told me to, get off the slide, maybe I might get it right next time. Make, like all of mm -hmm. these lyrics are like, no, I'm gonna, I still believe I can do this, even if nobody else does. I still believe in love slash my love for theater slash me. So plug in time, Buried Broadway. You guys are back, yes. you're doing it, you're doing it again. <laughs> We're doing the thing. Doing the thing, fire be damned, we're doing the yes. thing. Yes. 
<laughs> it's happening. You just We're did back. your big epic two two episodes two episodes on War of the Worlds, right? Mm-hmm. And then we did a little bonus Halloween episode. Right. That's right. <laughs> All right. What's coming up that you can tell people about? Well, we are doing one episode a month because we fall down the rabbit hole of research way too much and Mikey still does have a job. So <laughs> it is a meticulously researched podcast, guys. I have to say like, you know, I, I I I do what I would consider to be a base level of research for every show that we talk about, and I have several tabs open on my Chrome as uh, as we're going here. But you have you guys like dig into these shows, and that's got to take dig, some time. And then we make outlines, and then we decide nobody needs to know this much, and then we edit down the outlines, and then then we record. It's uh, so great, <laughs> so, so well appreciated. <laughs> I'm not sure we're narrowing down what our next couple of mm. episodes are going to be about, but I know we're going to do a Christmas theme uh, show in December. We All just right. don't know which one yet. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's really great. Thank you so much, Jen. This was so, this was so much. So people can find you. Beverly.com is a thing I'm aware of. Yep. B-E-V-A-R-E-L-L-I. Cause it's spelled really weird. And people can find me at Jen Beverelli on Instagram or just follow Buried Broadway. It's much more interesting. I just post pictures of flowers and cats. Um, <laughs> hey, some people and, love that. You know, if that's yeah. what you're into, Live your truth. there you go. There you are. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. After all the tears I've cried You'd think I would give up on love Get off this line Maybe I might get it right this time I was there As passion turned to pain Sunshine turned to rainy days Here I am Ready to begin once again The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at UnknownPenguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Jen Beverelli for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. But I still believe in love and love believing. I'll keep on dreaming because I still believe in love. I still. Still believe in love.